Howdy, friends. This is Marcus Smith, along with Adam Keskus, welcoming you back to the Founders Forge podcast. Today, Rachel Cox has entered the Forge to talk about her entrepreneurial journey founding Arape. Arape? Arape. Arape. <laughs> Arape. Hey, Rachel. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Among other things, Rachel has her own podcast talking about forgotten 90s TV shows and can talk about almost anything, so I'm sure we'll have some fun stuff to talk about here. But first, let's start with our own little therapy session. As per usual, we like to dig into our guests' pasts and see if there is any underlying trends, threads of where they are today. Rachel, do you mind telling us a bit about your maybe personality as a child? Were you outgoing, shy, adventurous, artistic? I was really outgoing. I had kind of a big mouth, so I would get in trouble for saying things that I shouldn't say a lot. So when I was about seven or eight, my favorite movie was Hot to Trot, starring Bobcat Goldthwait, which is about a, a horse that starts talking and it's very <laughs> raunchy. And there's all these there are all these jokes in it that I didn't understand, but I would just repeat them to people. And I repeated uh. them. I repeated a joke about a horse mounting a Buick to my Sunday school teacher, <laughs> and I, not knowing what it meant at all. And then one time I called my teacher by her first name to be funny and I got in trouble with that. So I was always like a class clown doing things to get attention and not really thinking through the repercussions, but I was always artistic. My grandmother was kind of an amateur painter and my dad was a pretty good draftsman as well. So I kind of had an aptitude for art early on and I don't know if I was pushed into it or I was definitely encouraged, but I ended up going to art school, which basically I feel like was a mistake. And hmm. I think uh, accredited art schools should be outlawed <laughs> because they aren't what they say they are. They really serve no economic purpose whatsoever. Yes, yeah, so I went to art school. I, I think that my 20s and 30s were spent kind of doing a redo. I mean, I guess a lot of people do that. Like you're an adult, but then you're like, wait, what do I like to do? Who am I? And, and really kind of trying to find myself and what I actually like to do because what I found from, you know, graduating college through my thirties was God, why does every job I ever have get so boring mm. after yeah. a few months? I started having panic attacks at work. You know, I, I was in these jobs that were for, for most people would call them a cushy job, like a, a graphic design job where you really don't have to do a few hours oh, of work okay. a day. And so for a lot of people, they love that. Right. I mean, if you can find meaning in those empty hours, I suppose it's good. But if you are just aimless and are just sitting there staring at a computer without any function or purpose. For, for me, it was very um, anxiety producing. Mm -hmm. So I thought a long time about having my own business and I am still trying to figure out if, if it's just a fantasy or, you know, we all have dreams of things we want to do without any understanding of whether they would actually mm -hmm. fulfill us or bring us happiness. But I was always very jealous of people who had their own, who created their own work and their own space and their own environments. Then you're never, um, but ne the, you're never out of work that way, right? Because you're always, you're never you're always having to right. do something. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, I guess that was probably wasn't the part that appealed to me. I, I do know that on the flip side, if, you know, when you run your own business, then you work for your mm -hmm. customers and you kind of never get to take a break, right? So there's pros and cons to it. The only businesses that I knew of in my daily life were either apps you use on your phone or stores you hmm. see on the street. But like 99% of the other businesses that are like just filling the ecosystem, you don't see oh, yeah. or touch ever. So I think that there's this real gap in knowledge of, okay, so how do you take some random person who maybe has an aptitude for entrepreneurship and an interest and the smarts to do it and introduce them into these industries that they, that they wouldn't know anything about 
you know, yeah. anyway, like, you know, why can't I get into trucking? <laughs> you can. Or um, logistics mm-hmm. or like, you know, how do you, how do you fill those gaps? Right. And most people don't just come across that knowledge. Of yeah, for sure. And is that something that you kind of thought about when you were younger is like, you know, I want to go do something myself or anything like that? Or were you really into the art space? And it wasn't until you got kind of later on in life trying to figure out what you wanted to do that you're like, hmm, maybe, maybe I do want to work for myself. Well, it's embarrassing, but I think I actually thought I was going to be a working mm. artist. Well, you know. <laughs> when I was, well, when I was in art school, I, I majored in illustration. Mm-hmm. So it was a an applied art. And at the time, so this is like, the dot-com boom. So at the time, there were a lot of very well-known yeah. working illustrators doing editorial work coming out of New York. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to do editorial illustration. And then around the time I graduated college, it was right after the 9-11 recession. Mm-hmm. And just a ton of that work went away. Stock illustration and stock icons and stock photos started mm-hmm. growing. And it changed the industry. Yeah. I mean, the industry went through rapid changes and it just, the education that I got and the training I got and how to do that was Obsolete. Yeah. <laughs> it was obsolete. So did you transition out of the kind of graphic design space? Well, so I wanted to be an illustrator. I graduated in 2002, did not know a single lick of Photoshop, mm. InDesign, or Illustrator. Did not oh. know anything. Mm-hmm. Like, this is how old I am. They, they did not teach mm-hmm. us those things. I think, I think I took one optional Photoshop class. That was it. I had to teach myself everything, which is why I hate it. I mean, I feel like art school is kind of... A grift. To say that what you get at art school is a bachelor's mm. is a, at the very least an overstatement. So I had to teach myself everything and then put together a portfolio and then just like take it around and, you know, eventually landed a graphic design job at a, a small tier marketing mm. agency. And then kind of went from agency to agency until I ended up at a, a large university doing graphic design. And then while I was there, I um, finally had an opportunity to take business classes and I got a degree, like an MS in entrepreneurship. Oh God, yeah from the business school at Temple. That's so nice. that was fun. I got to do it for free basically. And that's where I kind of thought like, this is it. I'm my, my goal was to actually find a like-minded person to kind of partner mm. with. But a lot of the people that are in those programs are doing it for career advancement. They're not necessarily there mm-hmm. to start a business or they already have something they're working on. So that was kind of a bust. But while I was in that program, I ended up reading a book by uh, Jonathan Bush. Uh, who is the founder of Athena Health. Athena Health was one of the first digital EHR companies. So they did electronic records. And he wrote a book about like, why you should start a healthcare business. Interesting. And I read it and I was like, I'll do it. <laughs> You're like, I've got all this <laughs> learning. Good. You know, I, I want to do something. I'll just jump into this space. Well, he made a very, I mean, it's a ghostwritten book, but he made a very compelling argument, which is that the industry is humongous. And our expectations are so low that you really only have to deliver one increment, one level increment up of yeah. improvement. You don't have to try that hard. <laughs> to, to make it, yeah, that's right. Exactly. I was like, this yeah, sounds attainable. No I like it. Well, and so is that basically where ARP started? Yeah. So I had that idea. And the first thing I worked on, the first idea I had was it was going to be guided meditation that went to dialysis centers because mm-hmm. There's data that guided meditation reduces blood pressure and there's data that, that reduced blood pressure improves, you know, people with kidney problems. So I was like, let's put them together. But it kind of seemed like a logistical nightmare involving (laughs) patient privacy and, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to actually talk to dialysis conglomerates and stuff. So I dropped that. It had a great name though. It was called Renzen. 
Mm, nice. <laughs> Ren, Ren for renal. Yep. Zen for yep. Zen. Okay. Yeah. You know what? Put a pin in that. I'm going to come back to that one. <laughs> Perfect. I mean, the the market for dialysis is ever expanding. So. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It's a. You can't have that idea of copyright. It's a very interesting business. But ultimately, you went more towards the mental health side of things. Yeah. So I, I really wasn't doing anything. And then right around the time, my last semester at, the, at school, I had had my second child. And I was trying to find a new therapist. And I had always been a big believer in therapy and had been in therapy on and off as an adult. And I just couldn't book it. I mean, like, long story short, just hurdle after hurdle after hurdle. Yeah. And I had that kind of light bulb moment, like, wow, I have a computer. I know how the industry works. I have insurance. Like, I can read. And you still can't get this to happen. And I still couldn't. But yeah. And then I went mm-hmm. online. I realized, oh, there's, I it's, it's the kind of innovation where you assume someone's doing something because it just seems like a yeah then you're like oh no one's actually doing that so I assume that by this point in human history that you could just go online and find a therapist and make an appointment but that is not true Mm -hmm. and it wasn't true and that's where it came from so the original idea was to just make booking easier for patients but then when I did the you know did the thing you're supposed to do which is start interviewing potential customers and I started learning every all the ins and outs of how practice management works. I realized there's some very deep-seated and legitimate reasons why it's really hard to book a therapist. Yeah. And to try to make a long story short, the service that we have today does not actually try to fix this problem. Like this problem involves government bureaucracies, hmm. licensing mm-hmm. bureaus, state legislatures. I mean, these are the people that would need to be involved to fix the practice management situation here. It's not going to happen anytime soon. The business as it is now is helping people find a therapist. And it's different from anything else in the market because it's a complimentary service. It's not direct healthcare. It's not a therapist. Mm -hmm. It's not insurance. It's not talk-based, chat-based therapy. It's not group therapy. It's filling the gaps in the service that already exists. So for example, we have a service for businesses. So basically our concierge, they would call them a therapy concierge. If you're trying to find a therapist, you don't want to spend 10 hours calling them, emailing them, seeing who's available. You call us, do like a 30 minute phone call about what you're looking for. We go to all our secret little networks and groups find a therapist that meets your criteria and then send you a list of three available therapists and that saves you hours. So that's the basic service. And we sell that service to companies who kind of pay to have us on call on demand for their employees. Yeah. A lot of people in HR will just say, you know, I interviewed, you know, during the research process when I was interviewing them would say, Oh, we have mental health care coverage, like end of story. Okay. Well, what if there are no providers in, in your metropolitan area? Mm-hmm. What if they're all booked? Because right now therapists are incredibly booked up. Interesting. I mean, we had a we had a customer who, you know, we gave him a list of three available therapists that met his criteria and he waited too long to contact them and they were all they're unavailable. They all ceased yeah. to be available, yeah. you know? So I think HR people who are in leadership positions need to understand that just because that care is technically there doesn't mean that your employees are actually being able to access the help. Yeah. There's an interesting side effect to that too, right? Because you may find a therapist and then it turns out that's not, that therapist is not good for you. And then you have to like look all over again to try and find somebody else. And that's, this is the key difference between booking a therapist and booking any kind of medical healthcare, which is really why it really shouldn't be considered medical healthcare. A medical, medical issue is something that comes up 
occasionally, right? Mm -hmm. But seeing a therapist is something that for most people, it's more akin to diet or exercise. It's something that you're doing all the time to maintain a certain level of functionality. Like a personal trainer. Yes, personal trainer, exactly. for your mind. So it's like, imagine a personal trainer, but you only get like three sessions a year. (laughs) You know, like that's the way, or like there's a $20 copay each time, but then it, but then there's only like two personal trainers in your neighborhood, you know, like this is why it doesn't really work the way that it's set up to work. But the, the ethical issue with a therapist is, okay, if you're a dermatologist and no offense to dermatologists, you don't care who makes an appointment with you, right? Like a person comes in and then you look at their bunion and you go, Oh, I can't, I can't fix this bunion. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) A therapist wouldn't do that. Right. They want to talk to you first, find out what your issues are, find out why you've come to therapy and see if they can, if they feel that they are ethically, it, it is, it is in their code of ethics that they can't initiate a therapeutic relationship with someone unless they feel that they can help them. If they don't feel like they can help them, they don't help them. Yeah. Dermatologists have no such <laughs> issue because it's not something that you do every week, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, it's an issue. You come to it for it once. If you can't fix it, you send it to someone else. Also, they have a large support staff that's there. They have all the nurses and the intake people and the, and the what are the people called at the front desk? Receptionists. Yeah. You know, they're all there to, you know, I mean, imagine if the dermatologist had to check you in, have you fill your paperwork out. Like the, the therapists have to do every single aspect mm-hmm. for the most part uh, if, if for the solo practitioners. Well, and so you came on this industry because you basically, it was your own problem, right? And you're trying to figure it out yourself. And now as you've kind of worked through what the problem is, it's kind of refined down to there's this need for somebody to kind of sit in that in between and help smooth out the process of I'm a client I'm trying to find a therapist and it's just it's such a broad field it's so hard to dig through that it just is is very hard for the general individual to do so yeah I mean it's, it is very similar to trying to find a new doctor I mean I would say it's pretty comparable except that this is a doctor that you're planning on seeing every week mm-hmm. <laughs> for an indefinite period of time yeah. And to that point and the whole kind of going into what's unique about what you're doing and why maybe this is such an interesting, complex problem. And actually, I guess before we get to that, how long have you been working on this, you know, from conception to, to now? Uh, three years. Three years. Okay. So, you know, as you've been going through this for three years, you know, the first question that comes to my mind is therapy, mental health. Those are very personal things health in general is you know whether you have some type of health problem that you're dealing with that's also a personal thing but i think it's a, a step above that in, in the mental health space and so when you're working and interacting with people how do those conversations go uh and has it been a struggle to engage people about mental health and therapy when they're doing this or is it it's such a strong need as people are trying to find help that they're willing to to work with a, a third party service to do that um, I barely encounter anybody who's resistant to the idea of therapy. I mean, everyone is all about therapy mm-hmm. today. The The only issues are it's the money. <laughs> Follow the money. I mean, yeah. one of the benefits of the, the B2B service we're doing is that if you're a small company and you maybe you don't have the greatest mental health care benefits and you know that, but you really you know can't afford to do any more than that, we could find a therapist that will take a cash rate. Hmm. And it would actually be off your books, right? So it's it's not going to be counted towards the healthcare spend for that year and it will lower. So you're mm-hmm. kind of like paying us affordable amount to find the right people to get your employees help, 
but then it's a win-win because then they're also reducing their own healthcare costs. Yeah, it's a, it's a concierge, it's a broker, you know, there are a couple different terms for that type of individual that does the footwork and knows the industry well enough to bring you exactly really what's best for you. And something that, you know, we do at Axon or try to do is just understanding the need and then matching, you know, the supplier to the need. And so you're also doing that not just on the on the individual side, but also on the small business side. Right. So we have a service that is um, $65 for the concierge service for an individual. So you just pay us that money to do the 30 minute phone consultation. And then we just go back and forth until you find a good match over email. And then we're, I think we're going to start adding in actual booking the intro call too, because that's a hurdle for people as well. Like they'll get to the point where they have the three names, but then, you know, then they still have to schedule the appointment. And what happens with a lot of therapists is they do have some sort of practice management tool where they handle bookings, but not for the first one, right? So the first one is is just an intro. It's a call that they don't, they haven't, they haven't given you a password into the patient portal yet. Mm -hmm. So it's outside of the system. So it's that first one. That's a really tricky one. Interesting. But the issue that I keep getting stuck with, with mental health is that there are so many problems in the whole ecosystem. I have to just keep reminding myself of what the original mission statement is, which is to facilitate that first step the first point of contact and like just to get someone over that first hurdle and into therapy yeah. because I mean, we could spend five hours talking about all the other things that need to be done. I mean, there's no, all the other problems to solve. Yeah. I mean, there's really very, very limited options for HIPAA compliant software that they can use. Hmm. There's maybe two that kind of look decent and they're like $60 a month. I mean, they're not cheap. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if there were to be some eccentric billionaire out there who wants to create like an open source free software for therapists that's HIPAA compliant, that would be very nice of them. (laughs) Well, to that point, as you've been working on this, what has that kind of initial traction look like? Have you gone to get any funding or have you had kind of those initial clients that's kind of started to help you bootstrap? What what does that look like? Has that been a hurdle for you at all? Okay, yes. (laughs) Okay, so I've been working on this by myself. And what really helps with starting a business is connections, Mm -hmm. you know, being affiliated with the right school or the right people, industry knowledge. So like having a team together that has worked on a similar problem before or traction. Yep. So I don't have any connections to anything useful at all. And I have never done this before and I have no health. I'm not a therapist. Mm -hmm. So not being a therapist has been a really big drawback this entire time. Uh, finally, about six months ago, I connected with a therapist who's now our clinical director, who's been great. And the, the the progress I made alone compared to the progress I made with her has just been, it's like night and day because there's just so many little things you have to know that are industry specific. And it's just, you wouldn't know it unless you had been working in that field. So then the third thing is traction. So my impression has been, and I have wasted a lot of time putting together pitches and contacting VCs and all this stuff. And I think the only way that I would get funding is if I could show major traction. So that is what I'm still trying to do. So the original vision of therapy, the original MVP was a Squarespace site that I completely did on the back end. Mm-hmm. And we focused on facilitating walk and talk therapy. So mm-hmm. we got, without spending any money on ads, we got a write-up in Technically Philly, the local tech blog. Love Technically. That, that, yeah, Technically. That was very kind. Yeah. So I haven't talked about the walk and talk thing yet. So the main thing was being able to book, Mm -hmm. but the secondary feature was that the more I talked to therapists, the more I found that they were barely making any money. 
Like, even if, you know, you, you look at the therapist and go, oh, they're making a hundred, they're asking for $120 an hour. They're not walking away with a lot of money because they have so many other fees. They're solo practitioners. They have to pay for their own health insurance, et cetera. They're, you know, a small business owner, basically. And it assumes that, you know, you're like, oh, they're making this much an hour. Well, they're not every hour getting paid that, right? right? There's all this administrative <laughs> yeah. stuff and, and what that. They're not a lawyer well. who's like working 10 hours a day. What I discovered was that you could do this thing called walk and talk therapy. Um, at the time, the only way, this is pre-pandemic, the only way that I could see to cut money out of the process and to make it more affordable for therapists to run a private practice was to take out the office. Mm-hmm. What would normally happen was someone would get their licensure or they would finish their degree and they'd be in supervision, which is kind of like an apprenticeship period. And then they would either join a group practice as an intern or, or they would start their own practice once they got licensed and they'd have to like rent out an office space one day a week. And that would cost, you know, hundred dollars or something a month for each day and start mark. And then they'd have to like learn how to market themselves. So they have to do All this everything. Stuff. Yeah. Yes. I mean, everything that I'm trying to do, that's what they're trying to do too. Mm-hmm. Social media marketing, advertising, you know, doing the books and the financials and on top of the, also technical, the you know, on top of yeah. the clinical work. Exactly. And from what I understand, and no one come at me, but they don't really learn any of the other stuff in the program. In the program, they only learn the clinical work. Mm-hmm. They don't learn anything about running a business, which is probably what you would expect, right? Like, no, we don't usually learn how to do our taxes or market ourselves in any kind of undergraduate degree. You know, and to some degree, that may be a detriment to all of humanity, <laughs> but it is what it is, right? <laughs> right. So <clears throat> they're, they're at a disadvantage. So I thought, well, what if they could do walk and talk therapy, which is when you do therapy outside? or in some public place, like a coffee shop. And it's completely legal and ethical. You can consult the American Psychiatric Association on that. I can tell you what section it is in. It is completely fine. You just need to have the patient's consent ahead of time and set some ground rules. Like, okay, if we run into someone, you know, what should I say, et cetera. So this is still an amazing idea. And people are still coming up to me all the time and saying, I want to, you shouldn't give up on the walk and talk. Of course, COVID like wrecked that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it did. It wrecked it. So I discovered that there are huge amounts of therapists who aren't working as therapists. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, I can basically create this. I called it a gig economy for therapists. I will lure them into private practice. I will give them their consent forms. They're already licensed. They can do therapy. They just need like some paperwork. They need to be pushed to get their own practice insurance. And I will. And you'll be the channel. Yeah, they need the marketing channel. I, I would, I found people for this pilot program that would work for about like 50 to $80 per session out of pocket. And they would meet for walk and talk therapy. So we ran this pilot program with the Squarespace site. People were texting me to book. I was handling it all on the back end. It was incredibly stressful oh, yeah. and unpleasant, exactly like an MVP is supposed to be. We had what I consider a minor success considering I didn't pay for any advertising, which was we had over 40 appointments mm-hmm. that took place in public. Yeah. They took place in parks, coffee shops, the lobby of an apartment building, that little cafe in front of Whole Foods. And from talking to all the patients, what they liked about it was the walk and talk because it took the clinical discomfort out of it for them, for people who either had not been in therapy before or had been out of therapy for a while and wanted to get back into it. And also they didn't have to go to like this specific office. They could find a spot that was convenient for both the therapist and the patient. So then that went really well. So then I guess I thought lightning was going to strike twice. Mm -hmm. So I worked with a developer to create our custom platform that would be totally automated where people would maintain their own profiles. And then it would look like Airbnb basically, which is Mm -hmm. what it looks like now. Although you invested in all that. Yes. Well, he actually did it for equity. So that was fine. (laughs) 
but he worked, we worked on this together, built this entire site, and then we were getting ready to launch in March, 2020. Oh yes. Oh yes. So, <laughs> and we all know the rest so of that story. This which is, is a tragedy. Crazy. Yeah. And I think that at the, when it first happened, I actually wasn't too bummed out because I thought, well, everyone's going to want therapy, mm-hmm. but it was so chaotic at the time. And even if you were talking to a digital marketer, they were like, all the rates are up and down and they're crazy. And I don't know what's going on with these search terms. And like, mm-hmm. it was just kind of chaos. And then the people that I was able to onboard onto the site had higher cash. They had higher rates than the other, than the first people I had used. Yep. And so I was just suddenly dealing with like a different target market. And I didn't understand anymore who the customer was. Mm-hmm. The people that wanted to pay 50 or $70 for a, to do walk and talk therapy. I understood that person. Cause I was that person. It was all around Philly, New Jersey. Yeah. But then suddenly I had all these therapists that were joining the platform that were like $120 out of pocket there in Manhattan. I have no idea how to market to those potential patients. So not that I had the money for marketing anyway. So struggled with that for a few months and then started doing this research into the B&B angle and started talking to HR people and kind of came up with, well, this is essentially the same business. One observation, if you go to a lot of new mental health startups, you'll see that they want you to fill out like a little inquiry and then they want to like shoot back some available therapists. Mm-hmm. I came to a realization too late that you think the reason they're doing that is because decision overload, like you want, mm-hmm. it, maybe people don't want to look through hundred profiles. Maybe they want to just pick from three, but they're also geniuses because then they, you have no idea how many therapists they have. Exactly. Right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I feel like a dummy. I realize now that maybe there's a reason why so many people do that. It makes it really easy to bootstrap something <laughs> where you're like, man, man, we've got, you know, all these experts that you can work with. But the reality is like, as long as I only show you three, all I need is three, <laughs> you know, uh, that's yeah. exactly it. Well, and like there was a startup that I was working with that said they had 5,000 therapists and then someone told me they really had like one tenth of that. Yeah. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. is fine. You got to fake it till you make it. Yeah. Well, and so we talk about kind of some of these different things that are necessary. You talk about the value of your clinical director having this practitioner of the space there to be a part of it. Or like what would be a fundamental fundamental business understanding that you wish you would have had known, you know, five days, months, years ago, whatever that is, in doing this, that if you would have had that business understanding, it would have changed the way that you went about it. I would have been spending the past year and a half building a community and a brand, Hmm. which I resisted and I still resist because I personally, for my own mental health, try to stay away from social media. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's almost just um, an inner resentment that you can't really run a business without it. (laughs) At this point, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's just, it just makes me angry, but I realized that if, if you are going to bootstrap a company and we really, if you don't want to blow, blow all your life savings on something, doing tests with digital marketing, then you need to have a community base to, as a jumping off point. So if, for example, the past, the six months that I was building the custom marketplace, if I had been coordinating as I'm doing now, like free mental health and wellness workshops that are just virtual or whatever, which are hard to do, but not impossible, mm-hmm. but you can do it for free, right? You can just source the people and pull it all together as long as the content is, you know, dependable and high quality. So I could have been doing that and like attracting people on Eventbrite and Instagram and like hosting events and 
people share events and they meet each other at events and they're like a Facebook group or whatever. I could have been doing that and that probably would have helped. So the scrappy thing being the like <laughs> community oriented content based growth strategy because it doesn't cost you to do those things and ultimately you're getting to the thing that you need at, at the end of the day which is people engaging what you do. Right. So I guess what I'm realizing is that I got lucky with that technically Philly piece because it put us in front of a lot of people at the right time. Mm -hmm. And then we got some natural engagement from that. But if at that moment I had had workshops or some sort of content or, I mean, I had an email list, but Mm -hmm. if I had started being more engaging in the digital space on the internet and started, you know, word of mouth would have, people would have been talking about us and we would have stayed alive, I guess. Yeah. Because then at that point, when you are ready to launch something, you have the built-in audience. This sounds very dumb now that I say it. Like, it sounds very obvious. <laughs> it sounds very obvious. But it's hard. It, you know, you say it's obvious, but oh my gosh, doing content, building community, that is a very hard thing to do. And I have multiple people that I talk to and it's like, we're trying to do this thing and it takes so much energy and effort. And sometimes you put that all in and nothing comes out of it. And sometimes you put it in, it's like, oh my gosh, this was really great. But it's, you know, the long play, the long game. I think that really brings value. And the other reason why I was resistant to do it is that, you know, I I run the Instagram account and the Twitter account and I set them up and I thought, well, what is there to say about mental health? Like suicide statistics? I mean, (laughs) I'm sure that's not great. (laughs) Because they're right. I mean, like, it's not a very cheery subject. Yeah. And I thought I'm already, you know, I work very hard on my own mental health and keeping a balance and, you know, being a good parent, there's only so much decent advice out there Mm -hmm. (laughs) that you can give people that they haven't heard before. And I thought, well, I just, I don't want to be a downer, but I don't really know what else to say because my personality is just very dry and practical. Like I'm not going to say like, wake up and start the, I I cannot do anything (laughs) motivational at all. Like I can't stand it. I don't want anyone to motivate me. It's very yeah. hard to do social things as a pragmatist. And so for those of us who are pragmatists, we are <laughs> right, at a disadvantage. Yeah. Listen, try it or yeah. don't try it. I can't make you. <laughs> I, I worked for an office where they wanted to put up all those, you know, those motivational posters. And I told them, I won't, I won't work in the office if you keep these posters up because they drive <laughs> me crazy. They just seem so insincere. And I mean, if you go to, actually, my clinical director, Monica, and I were just talking about ethical issues with the way therapists present themselves on Instagram. Hmm. Um, they present a lot of personal information lately. It's become kind of a trend to really show a lot of their personality, yeah. which attracts customers, but then it gets into, it, it is against their code of conduct to show, to share certain things they're mm-hmm. not supposed to be sharing. Yeah. One of the other issues with therapy that I didn't really dig into is, okay, so if you're a therapist, if you're a social worker in New Jersey, in this country, there are probably over a hundred governing bodies of the licenses because- huh. Within New Jersey, you have one for social workers, one for counselors, one for psychologists, one for psychiatrists. So like 50 times, 200, right? 50 times four. And they're all separate and they all have separate rules and they all have separate websites and they all have separate emails. You have to be aware of all of them. Right, exactly. So, you know, another, hey, um, if Bill Gates is listening, if you could spend some time putting together an aggregate website. I mean, I spent some time emailing different licensing boards and asking them like a pretty, what I thought was a pretty simple question. And they were like, I don't know, like the, the licensing board has a list. Okay. This person has to do these things to get their license. Okay. 
but they don't, but that's kind of the beginning and the end of it. The people who determine what those things are are actually in the state legislature. So you actually have to go to like read PDFs that come out of Harrisburg. It's like three <laughs> layers deep, you're finally yes. finding the things you're looking for. I mean, what I'm saying is this is why people don't start healthcare businesses. <laughs> it is so convoluted. A nightmare. Yep. So to that point, you're, you're still working at this. And is there that ideal next step? What is that? The community piece? Is that something else? What's that ideal next step for you to be able to take that will, will keep you moving forward? We're trying to reach more, more businesses. And I, I think I, I still have something to understand about HR decision-making, benefits decision-making. So I was talking to someone recently who has worked a bit in that space. And he said, you know, they're, they're either going to make a decision based on it's either going to be like, this is a benefit that is going to entice so many people to want to work here. They're just going to like giggle when they hear they have this mm-hmm. benefit or you have to scare the shit out of them. Yeah. It's like, like one or the other benefit. If you don't get this benefit, people are going to die. Yeah. <laughs> so we have to be that one, unfortunately. Because... People aren't going to get super excited about, Oh my gosh, they, you know, have this capability. So it's hard because we're kind of, we're competing with a traditional EAP, which is an employer, employee assistant program, which are notoriously clunky and cheap and have high churn because you do one for a year. You're like, Oh, right. Exactly. So we're trying to be, we're at the same price pretty much. We're going to be at the high end of what an EAP costs, but a more personalized, easy to use niche version of that. So you know, we're looking for companies that, you know, if you go to an EAP website, they'll give you a list of like 50 things they do, which is kind of nuts, like mm-hmm. adoption issues, finding <laughs> a senior citizen home, you know, all these extra little like things. Of, yeah. A lot of really bizarre things like finding not not legal services, but finding a lawyer like, okay. So I guess we're, I think that the hurdle for us is trying to say like, you got to use your common sense and look at that list and go, are they actually doing any of these things? Well, <laughs> right. Depends. It depends, right? But so yes, we're trying to find the companies who are willing to spend some money on specifically just on the mental health um, mm-hmm. stability of their employees, just to make sure that yeah. all those gaps in the service are are being filled. I was going to add on that. Uh, last time I used an EAP when I worked for a large corporation, the answer to your question is, you know, are they able to do that well? All those services well is no, right? Because I went and I I went to the therapist that was recommended and the person was just horrible. I'm like, are you even listening to the issues I'm having? You know, um, and, the, and the recommendations were so generic. It's like, mm-hmm. I already knew that. I could have figured that out without coming to you. I was looking for, you know, other solutions, other why options, we, other, you know, why are we sympathy at least. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Right, exactly. Well, and yeah. it's interesting. You talk about like, you know, how do you, how do you get into the minds of those people? How do you, you know, compare and compete against these things? And it may come down to, whether it's uh, HR consultants or some like channel partners who they're all already pushing these uh, solutions for these companies. And then you tag in with that. You say, we bring something that no one else is doing well. How about you, know, you work with us? Yeah, I have one person I'm talking to who we're talking about doing a channel partnership where it's actually kind of perfect. It's a non, they're not competitive with us. So mm-hmm. He runs, you know, a web development house. So he has all these customers that are large businesses. Yeah. Well, he could make a friendly introduction to these large businesses exactly. in exchange for a percentage. So that's one option that we're talking to people about. The other one is, um, you know, a broker, obviously. Like mm-hmm. once you can get in, <laughs> get in with a broker, you're golden, right? Basically a broker 
for you guys as a broker for this service. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a company called JustWorks. Have you heard of them? It's one of the new HR benefits bundling services. Mm. So, you know, I think they bundle everything all together and then give you, you know, cheap rate. And I, I wasn't able to get a phone call with them, but I found out through the grapevine that they just signed a contract with Talkspace. But I just want everyone to know that Talkspace is mainly chat. Mm-hmm. You are basically texting with someone and they do not respond right away. I tried it out. And what I found was that I would pour my heart out in this like long message and then wait a few hours for a response. And then my expectations went up and up and up and up. And the response was like, I'm sorry to hear that. Let down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and there's yeah. nothing like the uh, engagement that you get real time. So I think there is definitely a lot of value there. But it, it's over three hundred dollars a month. Yeah, it's expensive. I can get a computer to do that for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. I was very. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, I was very worried uh, I... early on about. Um, I was like, "There's got to be a therapist robot coming out any day now." Probably still. There was program out. This is like over thirty years ago. That was very responsive in that, and it actually acted like a therapist in that regard. And I. I haven't heard of it recently, but there, you know, I definitely know that there are therapist bots out there. I don't think that's what people want. They're just though, about as good, right? Um, oh, I know that's not that we want, but my point is, is that if you can't provide a service that is better than what a, a robot can provide you, then why are you providing the service? Right. When you can get a, a, a chat bot for half of that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, so this is great. I think there is uh, a lot of different little pieces in here that uh, it's valuable to remember. So... Really, first of all, we're glad we were able to have Rachel on today to talk about therapy. And this is basically the idea is the easiest way to find great therapists. As we've talked about, it seems like there's a lot of good learning around the value of having a person who's knowledgeable in the specific space that can help drive through a lot of the little nuances of whatever industry that you're trying to work with. Beyond that, I think just the realization of the value of this accessibility for Therapy is something that, you know, is still there. And especially as we break out of COVID, there's some really great paths forward. Uh, thanks for sharing that journey with us. And we look forward to tracking along with the progress. And best of luck. And hopefully we can catch up in a short while to hear what other barriers you're overcoming. In the meantime, do you mind sharing how our listeners can best find you? Yeah, you can check us out at therapy.io. It's A-I-R-A-P-Y dot I-O. And yeah, and, and you can email me. I'm Rachel. R-A-C-H-E-L at ARP.io. And I'm happy to chat with anybody who's interested in learning more about what we're doing. Awesome. 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 Hey, I wanted to add on that this is a very apropos podcast to be doing because it is Mental Health Awareness Month right now. Oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. that's true. That's very true. While you're at it, uh, if you're listening to this during Mental Health Awareness, we have another podcast with uh, Dina Shelton talking about mental health and uh, being an entrepreneur as a kind of as a specialist coming on. So that was great. You should go listen to that. And of course, thanks to all of our listeners for joining in the Forge. As always, feel free to reach out and join in the conversation or get on the short list to sit in front of the mic. You can find all the relevant links in the show notes below. And until next time, give up the hard work.